As we continue corporately to tune our hearts to the Lord, that's what unites us together. And that's why we're starting with Scripture. So Dan is one of the six elders at our church here. If you haven't met him, he's happy to chat after service. Go ahead, Dan. Thank you. All right. This is uh, Luke twenty-two sixty-six. Jesus before the council. At daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. Jesus was led before this high council, and they said, Tell us, are you the Messiah? But he replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's... Whoops. Sorry. (laughs) Will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted, so you are claiming to be the son of God. And he replied, you say that I am. Why do we need other witnesses? They said, we ourselves heard him say it. Then the entire council took Jesus to uh, Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them they do not have to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah King. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priests in the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Thank you, Dan. Are you joining me in prayer? Lord, our our world needs to know who you are. They need to know that you stepped down into darkness, that you raised to life. Lord, help this church to be a testimony to the world of this great truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the last month, I've had uh, three or four good conversations with people who are investigating Jesus. They're on that journey. I'm not sure what it was like for you when you first came to know the Lord. Maybe it's what you've always known. You grew up in it. But even there, I bet it was a journey. For a 60-year-old to understand Jesus, as a 16-year-old to understand Jesus, as a 60-year-old to understand Jesus, it's a journey of investigation. Is Jesus who he says he is? And I think it's an an honored investigation. I think sometimes we can be impatient with people to say, hey, conclude right now. And yet, as I've talked with people over this last month, I've tried to come alongside to encourage them on that journey. Say, keep going. Because the truth doesn't need to be forced. The truth will be found. It's there for the finding. And so if people stay on that path of Truly seeking after the truth of what this is all about, they're going to find Jesus for who he says he is. And I found three common responses as I talk to people about Jesus that are on that path. The first common response is someone whose mind is already made up. You ever met someone in that position? Right? Yeah. And that conversation goes pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. The mind is already made up. Whether or not they made a thorough investigation, their mind is made up about Jesus. The second common approach is the what's in it for me. 
And I think America tends to cater to this approach sometimes too much. A little bit of a sales pitch, right? As if we have to sell the truth. You don't have to sell the truth for it to be true, do you? No. And yet we often say, well, here's what's in it for you. And yet far too often, people love to believe in a way that's advantageous to them, right? A third common approach, and this is the most common, I probably find this every time I have a conversation, is how can you know? So many people in American culture have given up that you can even know. It's not even worth the effort for them. It's like I fill out an NCAA bracket every year with my, my family. And there's 20 of us that fill it out, including the kids, and I, I get towards the last place every time because <laughs> I just hit the random button. You know, I just, I don't know, right? Or, or some years, actually, I've just left it blank. I <laughs> just haven't had time to get around. You know how many times I've won when I've left all the answers to life blank? Right? And yet a lot of people will go through life saying, almost patting themselves on the back, but they're like, well, I'm so smart, I've realized that I can debunk any worldview out there. That itself is a foolish worldview. There's no answer. And we wonder why suicide rates skyrocket. We wonder why mental health skyrockets when there's no answer. People are fine just without an answer. They tell themselves that. And yet when life hits, when they sit on that hospital bed, their heart is screaming for an answer. And for those that I've talked to this last month, I can tell in their hearts, they say, you know what? There's got to be something to this. And so I come alongside and say, keep investigating. It's worth the pursuit. So in this next slide, this isn't new for us, okay? This is, this is an investigation that's been happening for centuries, okay? These are two really great materials on investigating the claims of Jesus, who he is, who he says he is. One is a, a book and came out as a movie. It's a true story based on the life of Lee Strobel for the case of Christ. This other one, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, does a great job looking into the authenticity of what Jesus says about himself. And I was with my father-in-law and mother-in-law this weekend, and they had just come back from Central America, and they said that their church that they went to last week in Central America, right, all Spanish, no, no walls on the side of their church, okay, good view of the mountains, different perspective of life, okay, they were in the exact same spot in the Gospels as we are in Hampton, okay, wrestling with Peter's denial, wrestling with now Pilate's investigation of Jesus. And I just thought about that. Of all the differences we've had around the world, that they're wrestling with that same question this very weekend. Is Jesus who he says he is throughout all cultures, throughout all time? And I think of our ancestors, horse and buggy, okay? They're asking this question. Our ancestors, before they immigrated to Iowa, <laughs> all right, in other lands, in other languages, there's been wrestling with this question. And that is why the Bible is the most read book of all time, because people have been wrestling with this question. And it deserves 
an answer. Okay? No blank line on who wins. Okay? No blank brackets is my hope and dream for those around us. That we challenge people to say, you know what? Make up your mind on this. Put it to rest. And this morning, if you don't have your mind made up, you can put it to rest. You can make up your mind. And if you have people in your family who haven't made up their mind on this, maybe you'll be able to more, with more confidence, approach and encourage them to come alongside them on this journey. And if there's friends and coworkers and neighbors that haven't put an answer to this question, maybe this will help. So here we see those exact same three points I brought up in characters in the Scriptures as people investigate this Jesus. And the first is Jesus before the Jewish council. And this is the group that has their mind made up already. Our culture is kind of like that. Right now there's a a way of thinking that, that we're tolerant of everything except any claim about God. It's an interesting worldview. It's a mind that's made up, that's not willing to reevaluate its foundation. And that's where this council is. And so let's look at these scriptures here as we begin. So this council come, brings Jesus now in the morning. And they say, Tell us, are you the Messiah? But Jesus replied, If I tell you, what? Your mind's made up already. You won't believe. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. Right? That's a pretty good sign when you're talking with someone. If, if they're the only one that gets to ask you questions, their mind's pretty much made up, right? That's why when you engage with someone, it's good. Let it be a back and forth, right? Let them share with you. Let them ask you a question, all right? Engage. Show how to humbly and authentically engage this investigation of what are we basing our lives on. And as you do that, you'll get closer to the truth. So these people have their mind made up. And then they, Jesus says some, a bold statement here, almost to reverse the roles of who's going to question who. And he says, but from now on, the Son of Man, that's a loaded term coming from Daniel, which is the chosen one of God that comes to bring reign and supremacy over the earth. He says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. Jesus is saying that he is going to be in the judgment seat asking the questions. And maybe you should be thinking about your answer, Jewish council, about who I am. And they said, so are you claiming to be the Son of God? The way they'd say this, it'd be a, a, a positive question. Saying, so you're saying, he says, you said that, you say that I am. This Jesus, he claims to be God. And yet a lot of people will say, well, he's a good teacher. Good example. I like that Jesus. Really? There's not room from a nominal perspective. He's either all or nothing, right? 
he claimed to be God. That either makes him out to be a huge deceiver, the greatest deception of mankind, knowingly, makes him to be a lunatic. How can you trust the rest of what he says? Or he really is Lord. You've got to answer that one of those three ways. There's not in-betweens. People love to dig up little arguments like, well, he was probably an average, decent guy, and then as time went on, these documents started to surface, change in the story. There's so much evidence that Jesus was a historical man. There's so much evidence that the manuscripts we have have been handed down from the very beginning. There's such little evidence of people refuting this Jesus. They could have produced his body when they thought that the tomb was empty. They didn't. They could have produced all of these things that said, no, Jesus didn't actually claim to be God. There's none of those manuscripts out there. When this hit the world, they stood in shock and awe. And as we move into the fall to see how this ripples not only across the world, but across the centuries to here in Iowa, we are still in shock and awe of God entering humanity through sacrificial love. A lot of these people, it's through the sacrificial love that is the greatest apologetic tool. The most winsome argument towards Jesus. Now, once he dies on the cross, people start to realize this is no average argument. This is not just another claim. But as the centurion knelt at the foot of the cross, he said, this truly was the Son of God. Amen. Amen. And as the disciples go forward with a risen Christ, as we looked at the transformation of Peter last week, they realize through that argument of sacrificial love, they saw the Word of God lived out in flesh. They saw tangible love in a Savior who was willing to die for His creation. That was convincing for them. That's what convinces our world. Because there's a shortage of that out there. People walking the walk. People willing to lay their lives down for one another. You can't argue when someone loves you. You can argue that their claim was wrong, but you can't argue when you've been loved. Let's move on. This is the second of the three. This is a trial with King Herod. This represents the, well, what's in it for me? Okay? And sometimes we have to be careful as we package and present the gospel that we're not just selling a ticket. You know what I mean by that? Saying, hey, you want to go to heaven? All right. Here's what you got to do to get what's in it for you. 
It's, it's a helpful analogy to see Jesus as that bridge. But we also have to see Jesus as the destination. Right? We're not just crossing over his dead body. We are going to the risen Savior for eternity in a relationship with God. That is awesome. And sure, there's a lot in it for us. But it doesn't make Jesus a means to the end, right? It makes him the goal of life and existence. And it helps Christians make sense out of what to do now. Because if they're just waiting for a ticket to heaven, and then the life doesn't change right now, it's because of that attitude. What's in it for me? But when it's a relationship with God, when it's seeing Jesus as the reigning supreme king, as the reward, then you've got it right. So let's look at how Herod acts here. He was excited. He was delighted at an opportunity to meet this Jesus. But it wasn't for a true investigation. He wanted to see a miracle. Jesus, what can you do for me? I've heard you have something to offer. Jesus says, knock and the door will be opened if you are seeking after him. But Herod is not seeking after him, is he? He says, what can you do for me? Like anybody else, I'm sure Herod had problems. Okay? I bet he had an issue on the wheel of his chariot or something, right? <laughs> Help my car to start, Lord, right? Ever prayed that? Yeah, I have. But this is that vending machine attitude. Saying, God, what, what's in it for me? Jesus, he wasn't going to play that game. He refused to answer. And so in the next slide, what happens to someone who's all about what's in it for me? Well, you're either my friend because you give me what I want, and then if you don't give me what I want, guess what? Then you're my enemy. And so they mocked Jesus. They put him in a robe, mocked him as a king with a crown of thorns, sent him on his way. Let's go to the third one here. This is my favorite, Pilate. Man, this is interesting in the text. I wish I knew what happened to Pilate after all of this. But Pilate was, Pilate was a guy who could not back up a decision. He wouldn't lock in his answer. And I see some very noble attempts. For three times, he tries to declare Jesus innocent. He even pleads and persuades with the people. He knows that, you know, this is a moral thing I need to stand up for. And yet he doesn't have a foundation to rest morality on. I think a lot of people feel like that. They say, yeah, I, I have an idea of what my marriage should look like. I have an idea of what our family should look like. I have an idea of what's right and wrong here. And yet there's no foundation for what that morality rests on. That's the trap Pilate's on. 
And he realizes as he tries to stand his ground, he just continues to sink. He can't base it on anything. He doesn't believe that there's truth. Therefore, he acts with no conviction. And he's willing to make no sacrifice. Unlike that Peter we watched last week, when he knew that Jesus was the way and the truth and the life, he was willing to give it all. What are you willing to sacrifice for in your life? That'll show you what you think is true. And if you just go with the loudest voice that's out there, there's no backbone. If you're swayed here and there with what to do with your life, you got to look at your foundation. Dig into and investigate. Man, there's so many people in this trap. Probably every person I talk to just doesn't want to lock an answer. So let's look at this. They bring Jesus to Pilate. First of all, they claim something that's not even true, which says he doesn't want us to pay taxes. I mean, how many people have rejected Jesus and God on a f- something that's not even a true representation of him, right? I've told that to people if I, as I've talked about God. I say, you know what? Describe to me the God that you're rejecting, and I probably don't believe in him either, Right? They'll say, well, I can't believe in a God who just stands up there and just smacks us with a hammer. I don't believe in that God either. Okay? So sometimes there's just misrepresentation. But this last one, a claim to be king, that one is true. Okay? And at this point, they claim that he is a king. So Pilate feels he needs to investigate this. This could potentially be a very dangerous claim to the Roman Empire because Caesar was their god and their king. And then there were little kings underneath. Pilate was one of them. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Pilate turned to the priest and the crowd said, I find nothing wrong with this man. This phrase right here I underlined, it appears three times. In the Greek, it's the same phrase saying, I find no cause. I find no crime. I find no guilt here. On the heels of this, he investigates Jesus privately. And he says, are you the king of the Jews? This is over in uh, John 18. And Jesus says, is this your question or someone else's? Are you really making an investigation of me? Or are you just checking the boxes? Okay? Do you really want to know, Pilate? I like that. I like that response. And then later in John 18, Jesus says, I I have come to bring a kingdom. It's not of this world. And he says, I came to testify to the truth. And those who love the truth will listen to me. Pilate, he says, I don't know if it's sarcasm. I don't know if it's an honest question. But he says what our culture says every day. What is truth? Pilate doesn't believe you can find it. He doesn't believe you can get to it. He says, what is truth? Let's go to the next verse, please. This is the second time. So Pilate, after investigating this privately, 
says that he announced his verdict. He says, you brought this man to me accusing him of a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and I find him innocent. So he's not leading a revolt, okay? He's not claiming you shouldn't pay taxes. He figured that out. What about the king thing? He didn't give a verdict on that. He's skipping that uncomfortable question. He's just saying, look, my job is to make sure that Jerusalem stays under control during Passover week while it's packed so that I don't get removed from office. That's my job here. And I'm telling you, this is under control. Okay? However, in John 19, the pressure gets put on him. And they tell Pilate, this man claims to be the son of God. And it says in John 19, this frightens Pilate. To be the son of God means that you are not a king. It means that you are as Revelation says, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It means that it is not able to be syncretized into the Roman ideology, but it is going to be in opposition to everything Pilate knew, that Jesus would be the king and the way and the life. That he is either a liar or a lunatic or he is in fact the Lord. Let's go to the third time. Pilate declares him innocent. He says, for a third time, he says, why do you keep pressing? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. We'll punish him and we'll let him go. Just before this, there's a, there's a mighty roar. The mob is starting to form. Pilate, it says Pilate argues with them, but he's got no backbone, no foundation for morality. He has to cave. And he does. Even his wife sends message to him in this moment in Matthew 27. His wife sends message to him saying, I had a dream about this Jesus. Stay away from him. This Jesus is haunting his wife in dreams, figuring out who he is. Pilate, Matthew 27, washes his hands. In a moment of indecision, he just says, you decide. And I think in that moment, he realized he has no way to make this decision. I bet he felt pretty lost and aimless in life at that moment. He said, you decide for me. And so they decide to crucify him. And the crowd cries, let his blood be on us and on our children. Let us bear the responsibility. Paul lets, er, Pilate lets others decide for him. Next verse, please. So the mob puts the pressure on. It says that their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave the sentence that they demanded. Part of that was he was releasing to them one person that they chose on Passover week, and they chose Barabbas, a man guilty of insurrection and murder, who was about to die on a cross. And Barabbas is released. And now there's a cross ready with no one to claim it except Jesus. So we see all sorts of people reacting to Jesus. We see the Jewish council had their mind made up. We see Herod, what's in it for me? We see Pilate, unable to have any foundation to take a stand with his life. 
We see the soldiers mocking him. We see the mob wanting to crucify him. Pilate's wife is haunted at this question, who is Jesus? I bet that question didn't go away as time went on. We even see Barabbas. I love to think, whatever happened to Barabbas? When he saw the sacrificial love of someone taking his literal cross. And what are we to think? I've got a clip I'd like to roll for you from the case of Christ. This investigation didn't stop in Luke 23. This is based on a true story and it's happening today with great consequence and eternal result. Let's watch. some good quotes there. One of them was stop blaming other people and do your job. We make excuses. We say, I don't go to church, I don't believe in Jesus because this one guy, this one pastor, this one church rubbed me the wrong way. Lies are often loud. The truth is often quiet. We got to search for it. But it's still the truth. no better investigation to take in your life than that question that Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? And as the church, we say you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we can know truth through Jesus, that it gives us a foundation, Lord, for how to live life, how to live with our families, how to live in this world. And Lord, I know many people here have already 
proclaim that you are the Christ. And yet, Lord, there is so much more for us to learn about you that it will take eternity of exploring. Lord, help us not to give up in the pursuit, but every day to seek your face more and more. And I pray for the world around us that is lost and sinking. Help us to come alongside them to encourage them to find stable ground. In Jesus' name, amen.